Well, good morning to uh, all you virtual worshipers. This is the second week we've been in this context, uh, uh, trying to get together uh, virtually as opposed to literally, and it's a challenge. It's frustrating to me. It's nowhere near the same, but it's way better than not at all. So I uh, hope you're talking to one another a lot. FaceTime, phone, text, connecting as best you can, praying for one another, reminding one another of, of keeping these connections in place. Um, and we're glad that you're joining us here this morning electronically. So uh, we'll do a few things and then uh, we'll open the scriptures and we'll do our best to have a collective time of, uh, of worship. So uh, we want to keep some normalcy as best we can. So Mark is going to come and he's going to give us a call to worship, a scripture. He's going to pray and then we'll proceed on with our worship as we would week by week. Good morning, everyone. Again, thank you for welcoming us into your homes. I uh, pray that today not only will you welcome us into your homes, but you'll welcome God into your heart. Yes. Our uh, opening scripture comes from Acts 2, and it is uh, from verses 46 and 47. It is, And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Lord, I just come to you now, and again, it talked about, just in this opening scripture, breaking bread in homes and meeting up in homes. Lord, I pray that while we are physically separated, that now more than ever are we drawn closer to you, that yes. we have that kinship of feeling like we are breaking bread with each other right now, and not the bread that I eat, but your spiritual bread, yes. Lord, I pray that you would feed us right now and, and, and not have us hunger for anything, Lord. Uh, you know, I just think about this time period that I've had at home with the kids and being home from work and we seem to be snacking more than ever just because we're there and we're home and it's never satisfying, but Lord, your word satisfies yes. all. So I yes. just pray that your word will fill that Void that hunger that we have been trying to fill with things of the world, Lord. And I just pray this morning that you would uh, be with our pastor as he delivers your message. I pray that your bread would fill us in a way that nothing else can. And, and, and that that taste is something that one we, we take in, but the other good thing about it is, is and, and to paint the picture, when you think about somebody going out to a, a nice steakhouse and they're like, oh, I had the best steak I ever had there, and they tell friends, Lord, not only am I asking that this bread will fill us up, but let this be something that we talk to others yes. about and say, hey, yes. I found this bread that gave me life like nothing else can. So, Lord, just speak to us this morning. I just ask you to bless everyone that has allowed us into their homes. And Lord, let us, let us not just keep your word in our homes, but 
express it everywhere that we go, Lord. I thank you for all that you are for us, Lord, and I just ask that you would, uh, as the scripture said, that you would uh, come to our homes, that you would help us to receive you more and more, Lord. Yes. And these things we ask in your precious name. Amen. 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 Very timely passage, Mark. Thank you so much. God bless. We have decided, or I think I have decided, to dispense with uh, most of our singing that we do before we open the scriptures and study them together. Uh, I don't think uh, you would appreciate my uh, off-key, uh, booming voice. Uh, and you may feel even awkward singing at home. I hope you don't. We will sing one song at the end of our worship uh, together. I'll ask you to participate in that in your homes. Uh, but we're skipping over a lot of our singing, most of our singing, uh, before, before the preaching. So we go right to the announcements. And uh, the big announcement I want to speak to you about is Easter. Um, I know that some are saying maybe by Easter this will be over. Others saying, no way, no, it's not going to be over, but it's just going to last longer. So either way, we have traditionally had a 6.30 a.m. Uh, sunrise service in the cemetery over off of Church Street. And we'll do that again this year. And I hope you'll show up at 6.30 in the morning and we'll stand a minimum of six feet apart and uh, no hugging and kissing. But we'll get to see each other's face, and we'll sing out loud, and, and it will be refreshing and encouraging. And all the other announcements, all the other routine stuff, as soon as this, um, this it's not martial law, it's not even a, a, a literal lockdown, but this, this new normal that we're in, uh, as soon as that passes, then we'll, we'll, we'll be together on Wednesdays and Sundays and, and in our homes, small groups and prayer groups and discipleship groups uh, but it, until then until this is lifted the closest we can come to that would be in the cemetery Easter morning 630 and I'm so looking forward to that just to be able to see your faces so that's the one big announcement there each week we pray for some persecuted brother or sister in Christ around the globe and then we highlight one of the missionaries that we support and uh, this morning the story comes out of Kenya, the African country of Kenya, West Africa. Uh, just a beautiful place. I've been there twice, and um, I, I love the Swahili language. I love these people. They are gentle. Uh, but listen to this story. A pastor in Kenya is asking for prayer after receiving repeated death threats by phone. Although the calls are anonymous, the pastor suspects they are coming from members of Al-Shabaab. That's one of the many uh, terrorist groups uh, active in, in around the globe, not just Africa. The callers accuse the pastor of bringing shame to his tribe and following the teaching of infidels. Uh, that would be Christians. When they ask him if he is not already dead, that's a way of saying, I'm talking to a dead man. When asking if he is not already dead, he replies, I will die when all of you come to know Christ. Isn't that beautiful? 
that courageous? I will die. My life will have no meaning. I will have fulfilled my mission when all of you have come to receive Christ. So I want us to pray for the ministry and safety of this pastor whose name is not given. And pray that even the callers would come to know about Christ. Wow. I want us to have that kind of courage. I want us to have that kind of compassion. I want us to be like this pastor who, with threats, uh, my mind just jumped to the last time I was there. I met a pastor who had been beaten by a terrorist group almost to death. His head is scarred and his body is scarred and one of his limbs is, is not functioning and he's just full of the joy of the Lord. That's the fellow we prayed for this morning. That's the brother that I met the last time I was there. This is what's going on around the globe and we're murmuring about coronavirus. So take heart, brothers and sisters. People are standing for Christ all around the globe. I want us to be of that number. So we'll pray for that brother in just a moment. Then also we pray for a missionary each week. This week the missionary is Jeremy Hambrice. Jeremy and his wife and their three children. They're in Papua New Guinea. And Mark will scroll through his praise points. Do we have a video or it's just the praise points? We do have a video? Let's watch the video. And then I'll uh, give you some, some little bit of insight, most of which I think you know. Here's the video about Jeremy and his ministry there in Papua New Guinea. to the Watkins people, made it official that we were coming. Uh, our wives left us and we stayed. Uh, we got the song went out and headed to the bush. We wanted these people to know that this message is important. We're not going to waste our time. Uh, the same way we're going to learn their language, we're going to work hard. We sweat and bleed just like they do. Okay, so we are way, way, way deep into the bush here. And we're finding trees for the post for our house. And we've gone a long way. We finally found one and everybody's happy. They're clearing the space. John Peter right here is about to knock it down for us. Take a look. I don't know if you know or not, but me or BJ or Jack don't know anything about cutting down trees or running the sawmill. So we had to have somebody teach us those things. And then we took what they taught us and we taught the Wadakians. One day we, we shut the machine off and we, we taught a huge crowd of standing around guys. This sawmill and these chainsaws are just a picture of what we came here to do. Uh, before we came here, you didn't know what it was. Um, but we came here, we showed it to you, we taught it to you. You're holding it with your own hands, and, and afterwards you're going to be, be able to use it for yourself. And we said, this is exactly the way that God's Word is going to be. Right now, you don't know it, um, but after we've learned your language, we're going to teach it to you. You're going to hold it with your own hands, and you're going to be able to use it. It felt like we would never end the sawmill job. But finally, on that last day, we cut the last piece of timber, and we turned the machine off, and we started taking it apart, and I just wanted to throw a huge party. It was the best feeling in the whole world. We were actually finally ready to start building our houses. And while we were modeling hard work, we wanted to be looking around and noticing 
well, who are the faithful men here I want to kid? Who are the guys who are going with us to the bush day after day? Who are the guys who are wanting to learn these new skills and pass on that knowledge to other people? So the whole process, it was a lot of hard work, but it was so worth it. And there were so many faithful men that stood out to us that we thought, man, these could be future leaders in the Wantakeen Church. The entire village would hike up uh, the mountain about an hour's hike away and carry down all of our lumber. Man, they, they dug away the ground that our, our houses sit on. And, and they, they were actually moving mountains. There's a whole network of missionaries here in Papua New Guinea whose sole job is to help us church planters in the bush stay in the bush. And we got so much help from some of these guys with our houses. I've never built a house. Jeremy's never built a house. Bees never built a house. And we're trying to do that out in the middle of the jungle. How are we going to do that? I was so worried before we moved over here. And there were some guys who drew up our house plans for us, came in and helped us set the posts. Uh, it was incredible. We couldn't have done this job without them. This is what happens to our pilots when they shut down the helicopter. face-to-face. -face. Uh, we have a number of mutual friends, so we know of one another through our mutual friends, uh, but I've not yet met him face-to-face. -face. He is, I would say, the lead spokesman for the team, uh, but, but he's very much involved in, in encouraging that whole team to be faithful. Uh, three of them and their wives and their children may have since met another brother there, so the four of them are working together uh, with the Wantakia tribe, and uh, as you saw in that video, their homes are built, they're living in them. In fact, one of the families has had a new baby while they're there. Um, they're not yet completed, but they are well on their way in translating at least the New Testament into their language. Of course, then uh, they'll begin to work on the Old Testament as well. Uh, but as you saw in the video, they're building relationships. They're earning trust. They're embracing people as, as neighbors and friends and family. And, and they're earning the right to then talk to them about Jesus. Now what makes this, for me, profound is that Jeremy was well on his way to a meaningful uh, Major League Baseball career. He had climbed up through the minors. He's in Triple A. Uh, the next move would be to a major league team. He was in the Mets organization, and and he came to know Christ earlier. But as an older teenager, as a young man, he came to know Christ, and and his passion to obey Christ, his passion to spread the gospel, his passion to disciple others, is growing and growing and growing to the point that he says to his wife, 
I think I want to quit baseball and preach the gospel. Not just in some large American church and, and have some reputation of baseball pastor, that kind of story. He said, I, I think I want to preach the gospel to people who have never heard the gospel. Is that amazing? Is that profound? Is that biblical? So off they go to Papua New Guinea and they are made aware of this tribe and he has some friends and they join him and uh, they're working together. Like I said, they've built homes, they've built relationships, uh, they've been with this community for a, a few years and they're already working on Bible translation, they're holding worship services. So pray for Jeremy Hambrice and his wife, their children and his teammates and their families so I want us to do that just now. I want us to pray for that team. I want us to pray for this brother in Kenya. I want us to pray for our brothers and sisters around the globe. Let's pray. God, my heart is thrilled to hear Jeremy's story. My heart is encouraged and thrilled to hear this, this pastor in Kenya who is not intimidated by threats. He's not naive. He's not foolish. He's, he's not overly confident in the foolishness of his flesh and yet he's not intimidated he's trusting God for his safety he's trusting God for his provision so God would you strengthen him would you encourage him would you protect him and 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 would you give him as Jesus taught us to pray laborers to join him in gathering the harvest that others would come and stand with their pastor and they would find his courage. They would find his peace. They would find his confidence in you like he has. And, and they would join with him in preaching and spreading the gospel. I'm grateful for this team in Papua New Guinea that they have literally left everything that we think is to be clinged to as Americans. Our safety, our security, our, our pleasantries of of, of American life and he's left all of that to spread the gospel God help us to be encouraged by that help us to be convicted by that God help us to be challenged by that what am I willing to sacrifice to spread the gospel thank you for these partners around the globe and may we give money to them may we pray for them and God might you use them to spread your word around the globe in conventional worship, just now, we would gather the offering. And I'm praying, God, that in homes, as we're connected electronically, in homes this morning, people say, yeah, I'm, I'm going to give my weekly tithe and offering uh, to the Lord's work. And we'll mail it in to the church, or we'll hand deliver it to the office, but we'll, we'll make sure the church gets it. And part of that will go to help Jeremy. And some of that will go to encourage the pastor in Kenya and we'll participate in their lives. And we'll participate in this call that you've given them and that we share with them to spread the gospel wherever we are. So God, would you bless our time of giving just now, wherever we are, in homes or the three or four of us gathered here this morning. God, would you bless our intention to honor you with time and money that you've given us, we would give it back to you as an act of worship. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So remember that the expenses of the church don't stop just because we're not meeting together. 
And as I was praying, please participate in that and get it to the church. You can mail it to the post office box. All of that's on the website. You can hand deliver it to the, uh, the church office. I know some of you did that last week. Uh, but uh, let's, let's not neglect that part of church life in these, these uh, new environments that we are in these days. So there's the announcements. There's the updates on who we're praying for and, and why. All that's left is the sermon. And uh, so let's, in some awkward way, just transition right into that. Open your Bibles, if you would, to the book of Romans. And I want to read to you first out of chapter 3, although the real sermon's in chapter 7. But the Apostle Paul is, is he's creating here intentionally. That's not accurate. God has created some, maybe I want to call it tension. He's, he's, he's allowed this, this awareness to come to us that we hear this truth and, and our reaction to that truth is, oh, oh, so because that is true, then I don't have to do this and I can instead do that. And he's going to say, no, no. This is true, but your reaction to it is inaccurate. Let me give you the right reaction. But he's allowed this assumption to be made. He has created this confusion, this, that's a, a, not a great word, this tension. He's created this misunderstanding on our parts, knowing we would think that, we would react that way, that he might then lead us to a biblical accurate answer to what we have wrongly concluded. Let me show you what I mean and, and maybe clarify the confusion I've put upon you. In Romans chapter 3, this is not the only passage, but it is a concise treatment of, of the point I'm trying to make here to set this, this scene and this tension I'm talking about. Listen to what he says in Romans chapter 3. I'm starting in verse 20. Romans chapter 3, starting in verse 20. For by the works of the law, by keeping the Ten Commandments, for by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in God's sight. No human being will be justified in God's sight in their attempts to do that by keeping the Ten Commandments. Ever so often you talk to someone, what's your hope of heaven? Well, I'm trying to keep the Ten Commandments. Romans chapter 3 and verse 20 says it's not going to happen. And the very last line of verse 20 says, Since through the law comes not freedom from sin, through the law comes the knowledge of sin. The law was never given to save us. The law was never given as, as keep these ten rules and you'll go straight to heaven. No, the law was given to show us it's impossible for you to keep the law. Has, has anyone ever kept all ten commandments for their whole life? Or for a whole hour? No, no, and that's the whole point of the law. And Romans chapter 3 and verse 20 makes that explicitly clear. But he keeps making his point, 21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. So righteousness comes apart from the law. The law was given to expose our sin. The law was given to convince us that we are in sin. Righteousness obedience, sinlessness, that comes apart from the law. 
The law does its job in convincing us, I need a Savior. The righteousness of God comes in the person of Jesus, who saves us from the sin I can't escape from. It's clear right in the scriptures. This righteousness, verse 22, is of God. It's through faith in Christ Jesus. It's for all who believe. There is no distinction. Man, woman, boy, girl, Jew, Gentile, young, old. When the law condemns us and reveals our sin, you can't honor your mother or father. You can be courteous. You can be polite. Uh, you, you, you can take care of them when they're old. But don't leave out in your uh, reviewing your life. I'm a good person. I'm a good person. Uh, don't leave out the teenage years when you thought mom and dad have lost their mind. And I wish they'd get off my back. None of us have kept the law. No, none of us have kept the law. Just examine those ten statements and you'll feel guilty. Very guilty if you're honest with yourself. And that's the point. Something has like a mirror to be held up in our face and show us, look, you can't work your way into heaven. You're not that good. And Paul is reviewing that great theme that's as old as the Old Testament right up to the days of Jesus. Paul is reviewing that and telling us, remember now, the law is not to save us. The law, in fact, is to condemn us. Jesus came to save us. The righteousness of God... Verse 22, is revealed through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. 23, all have sinned and we've come short of the glory of God. And the law reveals that. 24, we are justified by his grace as a gift. We're not declared just. We're not made righteous. Our sin is not washed away because I worked real hard and I kept the law, so I deserve to be here. No, verse 24 makes it clear that we're justified by his grace. Grace is what we don't deserve. For by grace, Paul says to the church in Ephesians chapter 2, for by grace you've been forgiven, you've been saved. This comes by faith. Romans 2 and 23, uh, uh, yes, chapter 2, uh, I'm sorry, 3 and 24 is saying the same thing. Now this happens, this happens, this, this grace coming and washing away our sin, it happens in verse 25. Talking about Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation, a substitutionary payment. A substitutionary payment, a propitiation. Something is put in my place that appeases the wrath of God on sin. And the thing that was put in my place that does appease the wrath of the Father on sin is the perfection of his own Son. So Jesus comes to the world. He lives a sinless life. He does keep the law. He does satisfy all the commandments. He doesn't break it in not even a, a hint. He doesn't bend it. He, he perfectly obeys the law. He is sinless. And then as a propitiation, as a substitutionary payment, he stands in my place and your place if you will embrace him. And he takes the wrath of God on your sin to himself. No wonder at Calvary we hear him say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Well, we know why. Mm -hmm. 
Because he's taken my sin. And if you've embraced him as your Savior, he's, he took your sin. And the wrath of God that was intended for me and for all of us who repent, it was poured on Jesus. And Paul is reminding us of this in this little review in Romans chapter 3. The last line of verse 25, this was to show God's righteousness because in his divine patience, forbearance, when you put up with something and you put up with something and you put up with something, God is putting up with sin. God is putting up with sin in the Old Testament. God is putting up with sin. He's putting up with sin. In his divine forbearance, he had passed over as if he looked away. He doesn't pour out his wrath. Why is God being patient with sin in the Old Testament? Why is God tolerating such behavior? Why is God doing that in verse 25? Well, the answer is verse 26. It was to show his righteousness now in the New Testament. It was to show that when the Messiah comes, when Jesus comes, when God himself takes the flesh in the form of his son and lives a sinless life and then offers up that perfect life in substitutionary payment, propitiation for our sins. Oh, that's why God forgave Abraham and Isaac and Jacob because they were believing that the Messiah would come. Just like we believe that the Messiah has come. This is what's going on. This is the Old Testament into the New Testament. This is God being patient, but pouring out his wrath on his son rather than all of us. It was to show, verse 26, it was to show his righteousness so that he might be just and the justifier of all who have put their faith in Jesus. Here's a short, short paragraph explaining the why of God's being patient, and why does he pour out wrath on Jesus? Is that we might be declared righteous, mm -hmm. just, clean in his presence. Now, our reaction to that is often inaccurate. In chapter 6, in chapter 6, twice he raises, not a theoretical, but an anticipated question. What we just saw in chapter 3, oh my goodness, Jesus paid for my sin? You're never going to find a better deal than that. That's right. So the question then, he anticipates, and we're all guilty of it, is chapter 6 and verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? And immediately in verse 2, absolutely not, by no means. And it's such, it's such a, a, a profound assumption. It's, it's, it's such a natural reaction. God's grace, Jesus came, pays for all my sin. Wow, give me my ticket out of hell, and I'll just keep on sinning, and Jesus will keep on paying, and I can do what I want, but I still get to go to heaven when I die. And God anticipates our wrong response to his grace. God anticipates our our misguided assumptions about why God does what he does and the effect it has upon us. Are we to continue in sin just to get more grace? He says it again in verse 15, twice in the same chapter. What then? Are we to sin because we're not under law, 
But now we're under grace? Absolutely not by no means. By no means. Well, wait a second. If God tolerates sin, tolerates sin, tolerates sin, because he knows he's going to pour out wrath on sin on Jesus. And if we would look to Jesus and embrace by grace his gift of becoming our substitute, what does that mean to me? I understand what it means to Jesus. Jesus took my condemnation. Jesus paid my time in hell. What does that mean to me? I, I got my ticket out of hell. I'm good to go. Leave me alone? No, 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 no. That's, that's, that's not the response. That's not the result. That's not the effect that God had planned. And Paul is dealing with that wrong response. He's dealing with our foolish interpretation of the grace of God in this large section. And he gives us now in chapter 7, this is the sermon finally, he gives us now this great picture of law and grace and not a wrong response. Hey, good for me. I don't have to change my life. Got my ticket. Do what I want. No, he gives us a great response, a biblical response, and helps us to understand law and grace and life after conversion in chapter 7. So finally turn to chapter 7. It's all in these first six verses. The first three give us just a picture. The first three verses of chapter 7 give you a picture, and here's the picture. Verse 1, do you not, bro no, do you not know, brothers, for I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. Catch that phrase. The law is binding on a person. The Ten Commandments are binding on a person or any other God's law. He's about to go to the law of marriage to make the application. Law is binding only as long as a person lives. Verse 2. A married woman is bound by law to her husband. Or you can read the verse if you have a, if you have a gender reaction. Not only is a woman bound to her husband, a man is bound to his wife as, as, as long as they are alive. But if one spouse dies, they are released from the law of marriage. I mean, it's pretty obvious, but the effect of the thing is only if there's life to it. Now, verse 3, the first half of verse 3 says, well, read it with me. Accordingly, she would be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. And still, even in our culture now, as godless as I think we're becoming, we still have some cultural, emotional regard for this. Everyone knows, oh my goodness, that's horrible, that's despicable. He's such a dog. She's so unfaithful. That they have a living spouse and 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 still they're they they're they live with another person. But no one reacts. No one reacts if their spouse has died and they remarry. Now, if they bring their boyfriend to the funeral, <laughs> that's that's another issue, but you get the point. If if when death occurs then the law is no longer binding, whether it's the Ten Commandments 
or as the law of marriage, or pick your application that would be appropriate. And he's reasoning here, he's reasoning here with us about the effect of the law and the work of grace. And it's not to create for us a sense of no accountability and I can, I can live my life and do what I want. Death must occur. And we'll explore that even more. Death must occur. Look at the last half of verse 3. The last half of verse 3. If her husband dies, she is free from that law. If she marries another man, she is not, after death, an adulteress. And with all of that picture of marriage, go back to verse 1 and catch this, and then we'll really work at the application starting in verse 4. Go back to verse 1. The law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. Last week we were in Colossians chapter 3. You might remember or you can find it there on the website and listen to it. Colossians chapter 3, he's talking about putting off the old man, putting on the new man, or he uses different language we should seek the things that are above, heavenly, not the things that are earthly. And then he concludes with this. Do this because we have died. We have died to the old life. We have died to the Ten Commandments, to the law. It did its work. It convinced me I was a sinner. When the law convinced me I was a sinner, it did its work. I died to it, and I turned to Jesus taking my wrath. I embraced his grace. Because law and grace don't coexist. They are indeed oil and water. You're either trying to work your way into heaven by keeping the law, or you've died to the law, and you're turning to grace, coming through the substitutionary death of Jesus Christ. You can't have it both ways. So chapter 7, verse 1, he's making the singular point that a law is binding, a law is binding until death occurs. And death nullifies, death nullifies the law. He then gives the illustration of marriage. And then he makes spiritual application to us. And the reason some of us think, chapter 6, verse 1, chapter 6, verse 15, the reason some of us think, oh, I, I believe in Jesus. Jesus paid for my sins. But I'm still trying to be good. I'm, I'm really, I'm, I'm working hard at being good. I don't do this as much, I don't do this as much, and I don't do this, at least out in public. And we're caught between law and grace. We're, 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 we're caught. We, we believe in grace. Grace seems easy. Grace seems good for me. Grace means, oh, I, I escape hell, no wrath of God. Wow, I, I like that. But there's still this, this uncomfortableness. I don't feel clean in the presence of God. I, I don't feel accepted in the presence of God. I, I can't look God in the face. In fact, I don't even like to pray. And we make jokes about it. If I went to church, the place would fall in. And we say things like that because we know there's still tension between us and God. We like to brush it off. So, wow, chapter 6, twice. So, okay, I believe in Jesus. I can keep on sinning. 
He'll keep on forgiving. But the key, the key to the whole question is, to what degree have I died to the old life? To what degree have I died? And that's where we were last week. And I'm just saying the same thing again this week in a different application, a different illustration, this time in Romans. We have died. And remember the key phrase last week? Our life is hidden with God. We talked about delayed gratification. Can I delay my joys until heaven? Or, no, forget, I ain't waiting for heaven. I'm getting my joys now. And sometimes those joys come in sinful ways. Well, then I've not really died to the law. I've not really died to that old life. I've not really died to that. And that's the point he's about to make in verses 4, 5, and 6. That's the point. That's the big idea here. That our freedom from an old life and our fruitfulness in a new life will only be seen when we totally, completely die to the flesh. Right. And we live in a new way in the spirit. And that's what we're about to see in verses 4, 5, and 6. So with all of this preparation, setting the scene, introduction, let's take about an hour now. That's where you laugh. And we'll look at verses 4, 5, and 6. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died. You have died. Paul is writing to Christians in the city of Rome, and he says, if you're truly born of the Father, if you've had a conversion experience, if your sins have been washed away by believing in, in the grace of God, by faith you believe that Jesus paid for your sins, if that happened to you, you have died. Verse 4, you have died to the body of Christ. I didn't die a literal death. I didn't die physically and I was raised from physical death, but I did die to trying to keep the law. And God put his spirit in me. He gave me new spiritual life. The law did its job. It convicts, it convinced me, it convicted me of my sin. It, it did its purpose. It revealed to me, look, baby, you, you, can't, you can't live a godly life. You're not able. You don't have it in you. Right. Right. And when I realized that, I said, oh my goodness, God, you're right. So I quit trying to be good. And I embraced grace. Grace is not me being good. Grace is believing, oh my goodness, God took his sinless life. And offered up in substitutionary payment, propitiation, appeasing God, the Father. He did that for me. I died to the old life. Verse 4. The very first phrase, you have died to the law through, through the body of Christ. Now I showed you back in chapter 6, verse 1 and verse 15. One of my favorite verses in chapter 6 is verse 11. So you must reckon yourself to be dead. Positionally, at my conversion, at that moment when I became aware that I'll never be able to work my way into heaven by keeping the law. I'll never be able. So, oh my goodness, that leaves me hopeless. If I can't work my way into heaven, what am I going to do? Well, that's why God sent his son Jesus. The law is not to get us to heaven. Jesus is God's way. 
of giving us. You have the law is to show us, I need something or someone else to get me to heaven because I can't do it myself. The law did its job. And Jesus came and he did his job. And God has been doing his job all along. Tolerating sin, tolerating sin, tolerating sin, tolerating sin, knowing that Jesus will pay for sin. And when people put their faith in Jesus, they're as clean as he is. Amen. Wow. The chapter 6, verse 11 says, no, rather than verse 1, verse 15 of chapter 6, so I can keep on sinning? No, if you're truly born of the Father, if you truly have a conversion experience, you're not just going to church. You've come to the end of yourself, and you've thrown yourself on, on, on the mercy of God at the foot of Calvary's cross. If that's been your experience, then you need to reckon. Chapter 6, verse 11. Reckon yourself to really be dead. Chapter 7, verse 4 said, that's what happened to you, spiritually, positionally, but you need to convince yourself that that's real, mm -hmm. that that's true. I really am dead. One of my favorite preachers of years ago gave this illustration, and it fits. He said, so imagine that, 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 that you're dead, and you're in the casket, and, and the coffin is in the church or the funeral home or wherever you're going to be. And, and people walk by and people walk by and people walk by. And you not one time do you give them a wink and say, it's okay. I'm in the casket right here in front of the pulpit. Five or six of you are here in church. And Carm walks by. I won't smell her perfume. Mm -hmm. I won't see her brown eyes. Mm -hmm. I, I, I won't see her smile and sit up and say, baby, because I'm dead. I'm dead. And spiritually, if I could convince myself that I'm dead, if I could reckon myself to be dead, chapter 6, verse 11, if I could catch the, 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 the real depth of what happened to me at my conversion, Chapter 7, verse 4, that I died to the old life. That when Satan came along, my first husband, when Satan came along, when Satan came along and he dangled all kinds of, hey, Dave, look at this, and look at this, and remember how fun this used to be? And remember before your conversion, you used to do this, and we all laughed and had a great time? And I say, oh, yeah, I miss that. And I start reaching back to my old life. No, chapter 6, verse 11. You need to convince yourself that you really did die. Chapter 7, verse 4. Right. That you really did die to the old life. Right. And it doesn't have the allure that it once did. I'm dead to that. Just like my wife walking by me in the casket. I'm dead. I can't respond. I can't respond. I'm dead to that. You have also died. He says in the first phrase of verse 4. Imagine you're in a really bad marriage. Your spouse, husband or wife, was mean and cruel and abusive, even literally, not just emotionally and verbally. And you said, that's it. You left them or you got a legal divorce. But they're not yet dead. And they get drunk, or they get mad, and they come around, and they bang on the door, and they threaten, 
and you begin to fear and, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, oh my goodness. Well, spiritually, I have a restraining order. Now, a restraining order may or may not give you safety in the world in which we live. But spiritually, Satan can't touch me. My old husband has no authority over me because I have died to him. And his rule has no effect. He still barks and threatens. He tries to intimidate. But if I can reckon myself to really be dead, and we'll get to the other, there's two responses. Reckon yourself to be dead. We'll get to the second one in just a minute. Satan has no grip. I can function like I really am free. My old husband is dead. And he has no say on my life. None. The second phrase, verse 4, the second phrase, so that you may belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead. I got out of a bad marriage to Satan. And I'm now in the best marriage you can imagine. But I'm married to Jesus Christ of Nazareth. This is not just weird language I'm using. Amen. This is a great biblical principle. The Bible refers to believing people as the bride of Christ. Yeah. And Paul is explaining all that to us here in very personal theological forms. That I was outside of Christ and I was trying to work my way into heaven by keeping the law. But I've died to that. Because the law was never designed to get me to heaven. The law was designed to show me you need someone else to get you to heaven. You can't do it by obeying the law. I've died to that. Now I'm alive to Jesus. Amen. And then he gives a second illustration. It's like getting out of a bad marriage. Not because you cut them loose. They die. Now in a good marriage, your spouse died. There's some mourning. In a horrible marriage, your spouse dies. You'll probably be courteous, but inside you're thinking, free at last, free at last, thank God Almighty. Right. And spiritually, for all of the fun, for all of the fun we were having in the world when Satan was our husband, for all the fun, there was this lingering guilt and shame, wasn't there? And if you're born of the Spirit, you catch yourself looking over your shoulder at the old life, you know exactly what I'm talking about right now. There was this, this guilt, this shame, this, oh my goodness, am I really a Christian? Am I not? What am I doing? My life is so hypocritical and inconsistent. Come on, man, you're married to another. Yes. You're dead to that old life. And I'm alive to a loving husband, a gracious husband, a caring, patient husband, a persevering husband. Nobody loves me like Jesus. That's right. That's right. I'm free to marry another. In fact, the middle phrase, the second phrase says, so that you may belong to another. I love belonging to Carmela. I don't know how to tell you how much I love belonging to Jesus. Mm. And the more I, I just soak in the, 
God Almighty sent his son and his son endured death for me. Mm. Oh, I love belonging to Jesus. Mm. And Satan still comes. And he dangles these, these opportunities to reach back to an old life. And for a moment they look attractive. They look like fun. They look like wow. And then I remember the cross. And then I remember the love of Jesus. And it's not just, it's not just that one event. It's, it's a lifetime of events of his care, his provision, his mercy, his kindness. That I belong to another husband now. I'm dead to that old husband. And the philosophy of that old husband, always got to please him, always got to please him, always trying harder, keep the law, keep the law, keep the law. And no matter how hard I, I try, I can't do it, and he ain't ever happy. Your old husband ain't ever happy. Yeah. Not so with this new husband. <laughs> Not so at all with this new husband. He's gracious and kind and merciful. And you might think that he goes easy on sin. No, he hates sin, but he loves you. Amen. The fact that he doesn't slap you hard all the time okay. doesn't mean that we can just keep on sinning. Verse 1, verse 15 of chapter 6. No! No, don't, don't abuse his kindness. Don't misread his mercy. Remember that you are dead to an old husband. You're dead to an old law. I'm alive to a new husband. Third phrase of verse 4. This is what enables us to bear fruit. To bear fruit. To be fruitful. Oh, I, I, I was a terrible person. I, I, was, I did this, I did that. But now I prayed the prayer. And, and uh, you know, and now I go to church and I pray. And I like this new life. But, but I, I can't do anything. Oh, you, you know what I did. You, you, the Apostle Paul who's writing this to us. The Apostle Paul who's giving us this, this beautiful theological understanding as well as this amazing picture of, of how that theology works in us in a practical way. That Apostle Paul was persecuting Christians. Mm -hmm. He was persecuting Christians. He was the bad guy in the brother we prayed for this morning in Kenya. He's the guy on the phone calling me. I said, you're a dead man. We're coming to get you. And that Apostle Paul came to realize, no, I, I can't earn my way into heaven by keeping the law. That's why Jesus came. If I could work my way into heaven by keeping the law, Jesus didn't have to come. Jesus came because nothing else will work. Nothing else will work. Imagine going from an abusive, exploitative marriage when Satan is emotionally raping us every day, all day long. And now, by transformation, I can have peace and actually bear fruit for God. Hmm. That I can be useful to God. That whatever I used to be, that guilt and that shame is, is washed away. And I can make a significant contribution that, that I could bring fruit 
that I, I'm, I'm not just used up and spent and hanging on until I get to heaven. No, I, I, I have life to give. I, I, I have mercy and grace to speak of. I have stories to tell of, of God's power and God's presence. I can bear fruit. Last line of verse 4. To bear fruit for God. Wow. Now watch verse 5. While we were living in the flesh, the old life, sinful passions, he calls them. We were driven by, yeah, satisfy that urge. Satisfy that urge. That looks like fun. Let's go do that. Well, I need me one of them. Let's buy one of those. People will respect me if I have that. When we were in the flesh, when we were in the world, when we were driven by our fleshly passions, we were aroused by the law. The law was always saying, see, you're not good. You'll never be good. You can't be good. Every time I would sin, there's the law. Okay? Broke number seven. Broke number nine. Broke number three and four and five all on the same day. The law was constantly there. The law was constantly there. Working in our members to bear fruit for death. The law was constantly there. Verse 5. Reminding me not of how good you have it. This is what happens in a bad marriage to a cruel man. He will woo you. He will woo you. He will court you. He will throw some money at you. And then when he has you, when he's legally connected to you, you're wearing a ring and someone said, I do. Then you discover the real cruelty. And you no longer hear the nice things. And now it's getting a little heavier, aren't you? <laughs> you expect me to eat this? How come I'm doing my own laundry? These are funny 20th century illustrations. The Satan's work is not funny. That's right. And they transcend every century That's of all time. He courts us. He woos us. He said to Adam and Eve in the garden, Hey, come with me. Come with me. You don't have to listen to him. He is trying to control you. Boy, if that's not the exact opposite of the truth. If that's not the biggest lie of all time. He is trying to control you. Come with me. You can do what you want. And all the while, it's that lousy husband. It's Satan who's trying to manipulate us and control us. Adam and Eve had this beautiful life in the garden. And they weren't awkward, embarrassed to come into the very presence of God. They would come into the presence of God and they would talk to him. The Bible says they were naked and they were not ashamed. That's, that's, that's not a, a crude sexual thing. It's perfect innocence. And then Satan comes and lures them away. And they get married to Satan. And we were born in that household. We were born in that house. That our original parents were married to Satan. And then he got us. And we were connected to Satan. 
God says, I got a plan. I got a plan. I'm working my plan. Hope is coming. Look to the future. Look to my provision. Look, look to what I'm going to do. And Jesus came. Oh, there's always been hope. Some looked at it as coming. We looked at it has come. But there's always been hope for us. That the Father will deliver us from the one who lied to us. And I no longer have to bear fruit for death. Verse 5. Because I have a new husband and a new life and I'm dead to the old life. I can actually bear fruit for God. Amen. That you can be useful yeah. in the kingdom of God. Wow. Finally, verse 6. But now we are released from the law. He said that about five or six different ways in this whole passage. It has no binding effect. You're really set free. Amen. I know you don't always feel it, but you are. Chapter 6, verse 11. Convince yourself. Down south, the word reckon is, I suppose, yeah, it don't matter one way or the other. I reckon so. Yeah, it'd be all right. But when God uses the word, chapter 6, it's not nearly that passive or vague. No, you need to convince yourself that what God says of you is true. When temptations come to me, when Satan dangles some really attractive stuff, like sailboats, <laughs> and other things we don't talk about in church, when he dangles that stuff, I have to really convince myself that I'm dead to it. Because I don't, I don't always feel dead to the breeze in my face. No smell of diesel or gasoline. Just the wind and the sun. And that gentle sound of the water splashing off the hull. Oh, oh my goodness. Let me go in debt. Because I'll never be able to pay to get that. Let me walk away from responsibilities and, and, and ministry to do that. And I have to convince myself, no, I'm, I'm, I'm dead to the immoral, wicked, nasty stuff. I'm even dead to some of the fun stuff because it would take me away from greater stuff. No, I'm dead to that life of satisfying myself. I'm dead to that life of indulging in, in immorality and wickedness and iniquity. I'm dead to that because what I'm really alive to is bearing fruit for God. Is bearing fruit for God. I'm done with bearing fruit to death. Verse 5. We're released from the law. We've died to that which held us captive. So that we're, here it comes finally. We serve in a new way in the spirit. Not in the old way of the written law. You ask some people how they're trying to get to heaven. Oh, trying to keep the law. Trying to keep the Ten Commandments. I've just shown you one. There are multiple places, Old and New Testament alike, where that is a futile and unsubstantiated approach. People could work their way into heaven. Jesus didn't have to come. And God killed his son for no reason at all. I can do it my way. Well, you can't. That's why Jesus came. And why would I keep going back to that old way? Why would I think, oh, I got my ticket. I prayed the prayer. 
I believe in grace so I can keep on sinning. No, no, it's, it's not just you got a ticket. You died to an old husband. And that husband died and he's gone. Why would you go back to his ways even though he's not here? So when Satan dangles his, his, his little things, I have to convince myself, no, I'm, I'm dead to that. And it's not just that I'm dead to that. I no longer live in fear. Labor, labor, try, try. Oh, maybe God will like me. Maybe God will like me. Maybe God will like me. No, I, I, I know God loves me because he sent his son. And then last of all, last line of verse 6, he's put in me his Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is like, uh, it's like an engagement ring. When I met Carm, I had even less money than I have now. <laughs> but I did find enough to buy at least a ring. And there was a tiny little chip of something on it. And I gave her this engagement ring. And I said, would, would you marry me and would you wear this ring saying that, that, that no more interest in anyone else. I'm, I'm, I'm believe Dave's going to marry me and, and from the time you put on this ring to the time we actually get married, I'm yours. When I was a young boy, and I went to the cross, spiritually, emotionally. I saw myself bowing at the foot of the cross, believing that I no longer have to earn forgiveness by keeping the law, but forgiveness is a free gift of grace because Jesus took my sin and he kept the law for me. He's, he's perfect on my behalf. When that happened, he put his Holy Spirit in me. You know what that's like? Back to the illustration of marriage here in chapter 7. It's like an engagement ring. Right. God put his Holy Spirit in me. And when my old husband, Satan, comes around, the Holy Spirit says, you don't need that guy. You've got me. Mm -hmm. And someday your husband, Jesus, will come back to the earth for you. Mm -hmm. Someday your husband will come and get you. Amen. But until he comes... Remember this wedding ring. Remember this spirit of God that's in you. And how when you're afraid, that spirit comforts you. How when you're confused, that spirit guides you. That you're not alone. You're not powerless. Right. I am with you. Look at your wedding ring. Your husband's coming to get you. I love this last line. We serve in the new way of the Spirit. We serve in the new way of the Spirit. I no longer have to labor to earn God's pleasure. Oh, let me be good. Let me, let me stop taking the Lord's name in vain or God will like me. Hmm. No, if you're born of His Spirit, He's crazy in love with you already. That's right. Why would I... Keep going back to that old husband's and his ways. Why would I keep reaching back to that life? Two reasons. Number one, I'm dead to that. I'm dead to that. Reckon yourself. Convince yourself. Believe the Bible that you're dead to that. And then number two, 
know that I don't live that way anymore. I live in a new way. Now we're back to where we were last week in Colossians. We don't live by the flesh. We live by the Spirit. He's saying the same thing here. The last line of verse 6. This new life we live, it's all driven by the Spirit. His Spirit, bearing witness with my Spirit. You know, Pastor Dave, you really pray. You hear voices. I've never heard a voice. Really never heard a voice in my life in that spiritual way. But I know these thoughts that come like, like bubbling up from within my soul into my thinking. I can't imagine they come from anywhere else. They're so holy. They're so biblical. They're so pure and clean. These thoughts that he puts in my mind. What are you doing that for? You know the best part of your old life. You know you're free from that. You don't have to do that. Why are you messing with that? You're right, God. You're right. You're right. Thank you. Thank you. You're right. His spirit bears witness, talks to, reassures, comforts me. His spirit bears witness with my spirit that I am his. But he does that to me because, well, because I am his. And I know I'm his not because I'm working hard to be good and keep the commandments. No. I know I'm his because of two main reasons. The lesser of the two is there was a time in my life, as best I knew how, I got on my face and said, God, I'm turning away from trying to work my way into heaven, and I believe that you're my only hope of heaven when I die. I'm giving my life to you. And since that moment, countless times, countless times, countless times, the Spirit of God has reassured me what you did as a boy was real and all of the sin you've committed afterward has not nullified that because I, I married you, I married you for better or for worse. And if you would reckon yourself to be dead to the old life and believe that my Spirit is in you, oh, you could bear fruit for me, son. You could bear fruit for me. And that's where my joy comes from. That's, that's where I get meaning and value for my life. I don't have to do all that stuff anymore. I'm dead to that. And the old hell husband has no right to intimidate me anymore. I'm about something else now. I'm all about bearing fruit for God. What does that mean? Well, there's a countless number of ways to express that. But it's sure not grabbing all the stuff I can as long as I can, but it's okay because I got my ticket. Mm. Jesus didn't come to give you a silly little ticket. Right. Jesus came to set you free from an abusive husband yes. and to embrace you as his own wife yeah. and to give you a life you can't even imagine. Yes. And I'm appealing to you. If you say you know Christ, Get serious about finding this new life he has for you and bear fruit for him in the power of the Spirit, not working from the fear of your own condemnation. If you know Christ, let's get serious about living this life that we're free to live. But maybe some of you watching, listening this morning, you don't know Christ. You go to church, you got a Bible, you're, you're trying to get some answers. 
But there's some nagging thought in your soul. No, I don't think I've been born again. I'm curious. Maybe I'm religious. I'm trying to be good. But I, I, don't, I don't think I've had a, a moment where I said, this is it. I give my life to Jesus. And let me strongly encourage you. Get on your face before God. Get by your bed. Get out in the woods. Walk through the park. Call me and come talk to me. I'll meet you in the office six feet apart. <laughs> and I would be thrilled to explain to you or someone else you're watching this with in, in your home where you live. Someone who knows Jesus can explain to you how it is that I get cut free from trying to satisfy God and the efforts of my flesh keeping the law. My old husband is, is done and gone, and I have a new life in personal relationship with the living God himself. Hmm. You would think with less people here in the room, I would preach shorter. Seems to have the opposite effect. I preach way too long. But I want you to catch this, and now I want you to sing with me. I don't know if you've ever sung the song together. I'm sure you know it if you listen to Christian radio at all. I want you to sing this song with me. It's a, it's a David Crowder band song. And, and let me see. Here's the name. Come as you are. Mm. You, you can't make yourself acceptable to God. You will never be acceptable to God. Stop trying to make yourself clean. Come to Jesus and let him cleanse you. That's why he came. And if you know Christ, you're born of his spirit, and you're still trying to straddle the fence, could you, in a profound way, make some decisions to be done, I mean done, with your old husband? And could you get serious about walking with Jesus? And don't wait till you clean up to do that. Do it now, and he'll clean us up. It's what he does. So we're going to stand. If you're in your homes, you may want to stand. But I want you to sing with us this song, Come As You Are.
come, he will heal. Amen. If you come, he will heal. Mark's going to come, and he's going to give us a word, dismissal, blessing from the scriptures, and then we'll pray, he'll pray, and we'll de be dismissed. So I'll see you Wednesday through the Jitsi uh, app, and then I'll see you next Sunday this way. Uh, before I do the benediction and prayer, I just want to remind everyone, one, thank you for joining us on Facebook and on YouTube. Uh, please, on YouTube, click subscribe at the bottom right, and you'll get notifications when we go live. On Facebook, uh, please click to follow the page, and you can also get notifications when we go live. And again, as Pastor just said, Wednesday night, 7 p.m., if you go to meet dot jit.si slash fbc blackwood we will have bible study and it is interactive so everyone's in the room virtually together and you can join and have bible study just as if we were here in silas hall so uh please uh join us for that our benediction today comes from matthew 6 verse 6 but when you pray first before i even say this so the thing that has been going through my mind is is that God is trying to tell us here it is we always complain about having time and oh I have so much going on well everybody's in the house now you got plenty yeah. of time and yeah. you can get into a space so the verse says but when you pray go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you so now more than ever, we need to be in our prayer closet. Yes. Amen. There's no excuse. Yes. Amen. We got every room in the house. I see people joking on Facebook like, oh, I'm going to this room tonight. We got every room in the house. Make that your prayer closet. That's right. Amen. Lord, I uh, just thank you for a pastor uh, and the word that you uh, have given us through him, Lord. Uh, sacrifices that you make for us and you are asking us to make a sacrifice and that is to die with you Lord, uh, to put away pride and 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 the fleshly yes. needs so to speak they're not needs that's why i do the quotes but uh lord help us to die to self yes. daily and to yes come to you lord anew every day yes and, and I just ask that you would give us strength, Lord. I uh, ask for your continued grace and mercy as we we go on this journey, Lord. Uh, yes. I just pray that you would be with everyone in their homes this week, again, as they get into their prayer closet, and, and help us, again, to draw closer to you now more than ever. Yes. And people have still found a way to keep in touch with family and friends, so... Help us to share that hope that we have right now that's getting us through this trying time with those that are, so to speak, around us, uh, whether it be virtually, but help us to not be ashamed of you, Lord, and to talk about that new life that we have in you every day, Lord. I, uh, again, just thank you for who you are to us and, and for the many blessings that you give to us, Lord. And these things I ask in your precious name. Amen. Thank you for worshiping with us. Thank you for worshiping with us. See you on Wednesday and see you next Sunday. Yes.